Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampton. And my guest today is a brother that I've known since my early days in high school, Mr. Aaron Tench. Thank you for joining me, sir. Uh, pleasure having me. Thank you so much for inviting me out. Yeah, man. This, I've been trying to do this for a while. Um, like, you wanted a few people that I thought about when uh, I first started doing the podcast. I just want to thank you for making the time to do this. Oh, for sure. No problem at all, man. Now, I wanted to... Together. I, that, what I wanted to start with, I wanted you to describe what your childhood was like. Sure. Um, initially born and raised in uh, Southeast D.C. off Atlantic and uh, Livingston Road. Um, lived there with my family from birth up into uh, fourth grade. Um, in the fifth grade, my family then moved to Capitol Heights. Um, I'm one of, my parents been together this year 50 years. So my parents were married 50 years. Uh, five kids. Uh, I'm second to last. Um, raised in a household that um, I never understood or never felt whatever economic anxieties my parents might be facing. I never knew those things. So, like all my needs was always were provided for, and even I had a want, it was already um, addressed as well. Um, had a great support system outside of my mother and father. Um, which was my elders of my family. Um, so I was blessed to have my grandmother, who was my only grandparent that I ever known. Um, I was able to have, able to have my, a great, great aunt, uh, multiple great aunts, great uncles. Um, and then I was raised at a church um, that was near the home where we was living at in, in D.C. And those people just always um, provided me with a level of, of support, um, emotionally, spiritually, physically like throughout my life so um had a uh I, I would say a rewarding and an enjoyable childhood um I got a chance to be a kid I got a chance to be a teenager um and I didn't have the some of those necessary some of some of those ills that like kids are feeling nowadays um I wasn't required to like you know take care of a sibling or or do things like when I worked in high school this is because my pops, it was like, yo, he wasn't buying me no J's. So if I wanted some J's, I had to work. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, it was that, like, I was working because I didn't want, uh, I got tired of being clown for wearing uh, the two for 20 pants out of JW. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I wanted Makunu. I wanted uh, Hobo. You know, I wanted uh, We Are One. So I worked at, you know, uh, Pizza Hut originally and then Foot Action at Falls River Mall. Uh, so I could be able to, you know, be fresh up in suiting, you know. <laughs> you know, you can't keep walking around uh, suiting not being fresh, you know what I mean? Man, I think that was all of us. We was all trying to keep up with that fashion show they had going on. Yeah, but it, it, it was enjoyable, though. I ain't going to say it was enjoyable. Um, you know, I mean, it, it was cool. I think one of the things that we we might appreciate more now looking back on then, uh, then, then during those times is that when we stepped outside of the, um, the DC area, we didn't look like everybody else. One, but then at that time, man, we had a heavy, um, we had a, uh, we had multiple different designers, black owned designers in the city that you had a chance to choose from. And I think yeah, that's true. And it was a beautiful situation that we was really, um, Supporting our own during that time, 
really supporting black businesses. Um, it's disappointing that it didn't materialize into other, at that time, other different bing, um, businesses that we can support. But that fashion at that time, we really had a, a was a really a great staple in our communities. So look, you, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on that a little bit more since you talked about it because it made me think about a conversation I had with um, Dr. Robinson. You remember Mr. Robinson, sure, Doctor now. So on on the previous episode of my podcast, me and him we were talking about dress codes, and ironically, he was against dress codes, and I was for it. Where do you stand on it? Um. I'm sorry, not dress codes. I'm sorry. Let me back up. Uniforms. He was for, um, he was for uniforms, and I was he was against it, and I was for uniforms in school. It, it, I'm gonna tell you the funny thing about it. People think that uniforms relinquish a burden from families, and it actually puts a greater burden on families. Whoa, really? Yeah, because the thing is, the kid now walking around outside of school with his uniform on. So a person now has to buy uniforms and regular clothes. Hmm. Some of these schools, they have their own vendors that you have to go buy from. You got to have the logo. So it's not like, oh, you just got to have a blue shirt on or you got to have a yellow shirt on. You have to go to my vendor and buy that item from my vendor because you need the logo on that shirt. Wow. Okay. You know what? So I didn't... I'm sorry. I, I didn't. Okay, so I didn't think about it from that standpoint. I'm gonna tell you the standpoint I took. Mine was, if we all look the same, then there's no pressure. Oh, you need to wear this. You need to wear that. We all look the same, and and we just talked about the pressure was to dress nice in school, not get clowned. So us all looking alike would take that away. We still get clowned in uniforms, though. <laughs> on some real stuff because guess what um, my daughters are privileged that my wife and I has purchased um, 10 shirts so you better have a clean shirt because we at least purchased our 10 shirts but what if you only have two shirts and two pair of pants and wow. you got a stain or a marker on one of your shirts or something happened. So we know now every every other day when you wear that shirt, that was just the same shirt you had on the other day. Mm, okay. You know you what? Know I mean? That's a, that's that's we, a good point. That's a good we point. Cut in. Now my youngest daughter, because my my oldest daughter was already in her grade, we didn't buy her new uniform shirts, a whole bunch of them. We bought her maybe bought her one or two, but you got your sisters. So your uniform shorts ain't even fresh, they faded. Mm. So wow. if I'm a parent, I, I'm sure I am. I'm telling my oldest daughter, you got to keep those nice because your sister going to be in them church in three years if y'all still in the same school. Wow, that's it. You know what? <laughs> that's a good point. I, I didn't. That's why. That's why I like getting different different perspectives from people because he didn't offer me that perspective. You did, mm-hmm. and that perspective actually does make me think a little differently about how I felt about it. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer. I don't think it's just an easy win, period. It's not an easy win, period. Because even if we all, me and you look the same, me and you got the same polo shirt on, we got the same khakis, it's not a guarantee we're going to have the same sneakers. 
it's not the same. It's not the. It's not even a guarantee we're gonna have the same belt with the same belt buckle. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the shrimp boat the fastest to get the the fakest fake belt. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So I wanted to transition to um, you know, we 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 address your childhood, but I wanted to kind of stay on that subject. But I wanted to ask you: Did you think about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the longest time, I wanted to be a stockbroker. Whoa, <laughs> I was expecting that. <laughs> yeah, so so my dad used to work for a company called McKesson Drug Corporation. Um, I heard it now. I heard it now. They 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 had a used to have a um a big warehouse over in um off of Armouth Armouth Road in Landover. They moved further out down south now, but they used to have a big presence here up in the area. And my dad used to work for him. And so I remember on one particular Saturday morning, my dad used to always, my dad always, to this day, he still reads the newspaper, physical newspaper. Um, Saturday mornings, uh, my dad used to always be at the breakfast table um, before anybody else. Um, and I remember seeing him with the business section in his hand. And I was inquiring about it. He was like, he was checking on the stock. Like he didn't check on no other company, but the company that, he worked for, and I found out that he was purchasing stock for his company that he worked in. It was part of the reason why we was able to buy our house because of his uh, his um, contributions of him buying stock in the company. It was the way that my parents were able to afford their house. Um, and so he used to always say, and so he took the time and sat there, and he was breaking it down to me, and from that day forward, I was locked in wanting to be a stock. Why? So, uh, do you actually? Do you still? You know? Do you trade? Do you actually? Yeah, I trade. I trade foreign currency now. I trade foreign currency. Yeah, I actually trade foreign currency, and I uh, and I purchased stocks for my daughters through a company called. It was originally a company called um, Spark Gift, but they got bought out, and it's a um, a company called Stockpile.com. But they got an app, and I buy my daughter's stocks through this because they allow you to buy a fraction of the stock. So say for instance, a share is fifty dollars, but I only have twenty five. I could then buy a half a share at twenty five dollars and help build their portfolio up like that. Oh, I know. What's it called? Stockpile. Stockpile. Yeah, all one word. S T O C K P I L E. Stockpile.com. And 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 a beautiful thing I like about it too. It's like I don't um like say for instance, if your daughter have a birthday and we was invited out to a birthday party. I wouldn't buy your daughter a physical gift. I would gift her stock. That company allows me to gift them stock. Like I prefer um, Spark Gifts at first because Spark Gifts used to let you print out this little birthday certificate. So you want to come empty handed. You could be able to put it in a card and give it to the person. But Stockpile, you just got to have the person's email address or parent email address and you email it to them and then they can go then and uh, accept the gift, accept the stock. Oh, wow. Hmm. I, I, that's a very interesting. So, did you, um, like, when you were in school, did you take like financial classes? Did you prep? Yeah, I did. Or? I actually was a uh, originally when I went to school in Philadelphia. I was an international business and finance major. That was my um, original major. Even was studying uh, Japanese when I was up in Philly. Um, my uh, I had a transition back home just to help uh, with some stuff with my family. So I wound up going to Maryland College Park and. When I transitioned back home, um, uh, deaths started happening, and they started getting closer and closer to me. Um, 
and my focus in school diminished. And I started to um, question stuff about life. Um, and I really struggled with being open to people about it. Um, mm -hmm. I take an elective. I wound up taking this elective, this class called um, uh, Family Crisis and Intervention. Uh, and so when I took that class and then I took another class, I started almost like self-therapeutic myself through schoolwork. Um, and so then I got into, I switched my major to family studies, which now they call it family sciences. Um, and then I just started the process of engaging and working with um, families. Wow. So how important do you, how important do you feel education um, I think it's essential. I think it's essential. And, and when I mean, when you mean by education, are you meaning like as in um, just learning through reading and experiences or education as in having to be at somebody's university? In this situation, university. Um, I think it's uh, applicable to what are you trying to achieve. I don't necessarily think it's necessary. Okay. And I think that's just improving nowadays. Um, that it's not necessarily necessary. Um, it, I mean, it's necessary for people if you want to be a doctor, certain fields, but not all fields you have to go to school for. Now, it's, it's, I, it's, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I wanted to talk about what you currently do. You are actually a reverend and you have a church. And how did you... How did you know that that was the calling of your life? Because that's a serious, like, I don't think people really sit back and think about the magnitude of being a reverend of a church and having a church. So how did that calling come on your life? Well, I, um, well, I knew the calling since I was like 16 years old. Like, I was very active in church growing up. Um, I, um, my weekends were spent in church, like, um, uh, my, my, a lot of the stuff that I did evolved around church. Um, so I was always cognitive of my calling. My thing came, well, my personal thing about taking action on it was the fact that I knew that my life can impact others. And I really struggled with accepting it until I felt as though that I was governing and um, maintaining my life in a certain way that I wouldn't cause others to stumble. And that's always been my fear that my walk will cause somebody else to, uh, to falter and fail. And I never wanted to be that person. So it sounds like you felt, you felt pressure. Is that, is that what I'm getting? It's not, it, um, it's, it's, it's self, it's self pressure. I mean, it was something that I put on myself. It wasn't a, a society thing. It was just me. I was like, yo, if I really take up this calling and really, going to walk for God in the capacity of doing what's necessary for um, for the title of Reverend being put in front of my name. I better be able to hold myself to a standard and live in a certain way because when you start failing to do so, you know, it really impacts others. And then it impacts whether people want to even follow Christ. And they're like, if you're still doing that stuff as a Reverend, why do I got to change my lifestyle? Yeah, that's true. Um, how long have you been a reverend? Um, I was officially ordained at, in the African Methodist Episcopal Church in April of 2018. Um, that's when I was ordained. They have a, um, a process in which uh, you have to um, study and um, um, 
complete certain requirements and before your ordination. They actually have two levels of ordination. I'm only right now at this time ordained as an itinerant deacon. Um, um, prayerfully, uh, next year, um, I'll be ordained as an itinerant elder. I don't right now have satisfied all the requirements except for completing my uh, final year board of examiners. But I don't got my master's in, in divinity from Payne Theological Seminary. I just graduated this past May. Um, so I've been taking care of all the um, requirements that are necessary for me to be fully ordained in the Anglican Church. So are you are you able to give sermons? Yeah, I preach almost every Sunday at my church. Uh-huh. So let me ask you, how long, like, like, do you, how long does it take to come up with a sermon? Like, do you, do you, there's like, are you led by God for your sermon? Or is it like, you you know, I mean, it's, it's all, let me, let me back up. Cause, cause God is in control. But what I'm saying is like, like, let's say on a Friday night, it hits you like, you know, this, I want my sermon to be about this. Or do you kind of like pre-plan, like, okay, this is what I want my sermon to be about. How does that work? I mean, so, I mean, the goal is always to try to have your sermon worked out before Friday night. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because you don't want to start feeling that pressure going through the weekend. That's me. Um, and if you hear some 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 of the great theologians or great preachers talk about the you know, other prep work that they do to lead into it, um, which is studying, um, which is looking at commentaries, um, I'm looking at different um, translations, um, breaking down words between the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, so for me, uh, uh, we have um, we have the lectionary that gives you an outline of the scriptures to be lifted up each week. So you can draw from um, a look at the, uh, the uh, scriptures that are provided through the lectionary. And await divine inspiration in order to you know to move forward with the sermon. Um, sometimes um, stuff that happens in society leads way um, to um, helping um, to aiding you in and showing you some of those targeted areas which you might have to preach about in order to address those things that you know are directly impacting um, people in the community. Um, you're seeing the. Um, you hear uh, more a greater articulation. Even as, I mean, it was always been um, a liberation theology within the Black Church, um, but for a time it got watered down. Uh, you start hearing more about prosperity, but you really hear now these charges about um, social justice, really trying to equip us back to have a voice in the community. Because truth be told, um, the church is losing its relevance in the community. Um, at one time, you was able to go to a church uh, to be able to address those things to, um, in your life that was might be an issue of concern, but you can go to other communities' resources now before coming to the church. You know what? If you being a reverend, I'm glad that you said that. I really am, because I really do think that church is losing it, um, their status in the community, because you you mentioned it yourself, like church has become more and more about prosperity preaching and not about, you know, teaching and, you know, things like that. It's it's more about prosperity. So it seems like you feel good, you know, you, you may have been going, you may, you know, you go in there feeling one way and then you leave out feeling another way. But 
you know, it's like that euphoria feeling. You know what I'm saying? I agree. But that only, but that only lasts for so long. It's temporary. Think about this. When you think about the prison reform movement, tell me what preacher did you think about when you hear about prison reform. Tell me one person that you immediately identify with and be like, oh, yeah, prison reform. Uh, if I had to say one, I probably would say Jamal Bryant. That's the, that's the closest one you got. And you had to pause and think about it. Yeah. Think about this. If we had to say rappers, shucks. We're going to say Jay. We're going to say Meek. We start running names off. Shucks. If you had to ha- say a celebrity, nowadays people say Kim K. <laughs> yeah. That's, Crazy I mean, that's, that sound, yeah. That's, I mean, and think about this. If you're looking at headline news about people that's making direct impact with the stuff that is directly impacting the black church, sometimes you're hard-pressed to find a person from a faith-based group, a church, standing on the front lines. And the, and the thing is, and he's getting older, the greatest voice that has been doing that, and they're trying to silence it on social media, has been Honorable Louis Farrakhan. You know what? It's, it's, it, I really find... This conversation has definitely took a fascinating turn. I'm going to tell you why. Now, my bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not mad. I'm, I'm, I'm glad because this is, this is what the podcast is for. I love interesting conversations. And you mentioned Farrakhan. Now, when I was growing up, you know, I identified as a Christian and Farrakhan was a Muslim. And I'll be honest. I never listened to anything Farrakhan had to say. Um, I, it was more because, because I, because you know how religion devises. So everything he said, the first thing in my mind, because I, I heard, I've heard people say, well, he, 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 he's a Muslim. He's not Christian. So you automatically dismiss what he says. But now that I'm older, I've realized that there's different religions and you shouldn't judge the leaders of this country by their religion. You should judge them by their, by their leadership skills. And I think he's an excellent leader, Muslim, Christian, whatever he identifies with. He's a great leader. Actually, but you, but then, but it's, it's, but I, but I think one of the things too, that, that we have to account for is the financial success that these religious leaders had and are they willing to risk it on social justice issues? Well, truth be told, not all um, religious leaders are like rolling in the dough. (laughs) No, 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 not all, not all. But I'm talking about, but you know the ones I'm talking about, the ones that have a status. But 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 my thing is just though, um, those things will come. I'm a firm believer that some things just will come. And, I, and what I mean by that is that I don't think when Muhammad Ali made his stance against participation in the Vietnam War, he thought it, he, he thought it was going to propel him to the, to the level that he's been propelled to. The same thing with Colin Kaepernick. You know, you're just trying to bring light to a situation. And now you have been catapulted to a certain prominence in what you're doing. 
Uh, and I think he's doing a great thing with the Know Your Rights camps that they've been doing around the country. Like, your works, whether you try to... Um, your works will, will, will create a platform for you, period. That's why, you know, over the weekend, um, well, over the last few days, um, people was trying to um, um, smear the fact that Jamal Bryant had Kanye West at his church. And, and, I, I'm, and I'm happy that he raised the point about, like, yo, did you know, like, 156 people gave their life over to Christ that day? Shouldn't we be in the business? Of saving souls, and then uh, they noted that on additional church land, they're gonna be building affordable housing, senior housing, and some community resource type stuff. But y'all not talking about that. You just want to be upset that there was a rapper in the pulpit. <laughs> at, at what point is there a concern about us really getting back to addressing the ills and the issues of the community? and putting real work towards them, towards getting them done. And like I said, man, these people who are trying to hold on to their prosperity, leaders, I mean, eventually that stuff will fade away. The Bible speaks to it. So if they really treat preaching Jesus from the Bible, they know that as much as they try to hold on to it, it will, it will soon erode. Yeah. Yeah, that's... It's... We just live in a time, man, where I think the, the biggest problem with, you know, with our race is just a lack of unity. Like, we get pulled in so many different directions. Um, a lot of things we could be emotional about. And it's hard to it's hard to get anything done when you're dealing with emotions. Like, we, we, we have to do a better job of sticking together and being on one accord. That's the biggest thing we need to do. I'm talking about socially, financially, everything. We have to be on one accord. That's the biggest thing that we're not on right now. And we and and, and we really got to get out of the business of condemning people. Um, that's one of the things that's really hurting us. Okay? It's us condemning each other. Like if I'm if I'm five steps ahead, I shouldn't be condemning the person because they're still behind me. Like yeah. it should be the moment that we're encouraging them. Like it's almost like we're we're if I'm quote unquote woke, you know, I'm gonna condemn a person because they're not woke. Well, why not educate them and help to enlighten them about it so they can be woke as well? But it's, yeah, you know, we condemn that person because you're not woke. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely so, understand that. So like, what is it going to be? Like, in your wokeness, do you want unity, or in your wokeness, you just want to be an individual and have the other people continue to erode? Yeah, that's the thing. We just got to figure out, like, you know, we know what we're fighting for. We want equality. We want we want to have success. So the biggest thing we need to do is plan on how to get there. Like, that's the biggest thing. We and and, it, and I think some and I think one of the bad things that we've had, like, I, I'm sorry, not bad. I think one of the problems is we've always been looking for that next great leader. Mm-hmm. Whereas now we may not have that was a different time. We in a new time. We in a new generation. So it's it may not be one leader. It it may be a multi. It be maybe multiple leaders. Like different people bring different things to the table. So we have to figure out a way to utilize everybody's strength 
and make it work together. That's that's the biggest problem. Like, um, we'll have leaders who clash. Like, we all they all trying to get to the same destination, but somehow they keep clashing with each other, and because they're clashing, we're not getting what we need to get done. I I believe it should be a, a faceless movement, and what I mean, yeah. it should be. At any given time, anybody can stand up and talk. Uh, and and it's, it needs to be a faceless movement. It needs to be an ageless movement. It, it, it has to stop being those things that people who are older, like oh, we've been doing this for years and they're trying to silence younger people's voices. It can't be one of those things. It has to be one of those things that we're completely all just walking together, unified, and nobody's saying, hey, I'm the leader. Like we understand at that moment how we need to move forward and we do it. Um, and I liken it to the fact that, like for me and my wife, like I get it that we're both some we're both good at some of the same things, but it doesn't diminish me as a man if I allow her to take lead with some stuff and I know she's good at it. I definitely be a support to it. You know what I mean? Definitely. That was that's the best also. Like there's like people use the word um submission a lot. Um, but there are times where you will need to submit both ways. You, the wife will submit to the husband and the husband will submit to the wife. Like I, I was speaking to somebody about this on, I believe it was on Facebook. And I know in my house, <laughs> my wife is a better leader financially. So when it comes to financial things, I have to submit to her. She's, you know, she's better with money managing. Can I, can I push back at the word submission? And give sure, you, go ahead, go ahead. Give you another word. Yeah. What about uh, well, a phrase? Instead, instead of you um, submitting to her, you have faith in her. Okay. And, and you know what? And, and I'm gonna tell you why I use the word submit because you're you're 100 right. But the only reason I chose to use the word submit is because that seems the word that seems to be the word that's being misused the most. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I agree. I agree. And that's why my thing is, and I I, I had an opportunity um, back in April, um, um, the young man, um, Black, uh, um, uh, he had an event at Kitchen Crate for like men. And that word submission came out. And I'm like, yo, like, it's, it's really you having faith in that person that they're going to do the right thing. It's a respect level that y'all have, that y'all have earned between one another, that they're doing something in the best interest of you and the family. So you're not questioning it because you believe their actions are in the best interest of you and your family. You know, like, I just have faith in my wife that she's doing the right thing. You know, tell me, oh, you're submitting (laughs) <laughs> but I'm tapping out, bro, because I got faith that she's doing the right thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and let's be clear, your definition is much better. <laughs> <laughs> so, like so the listener is not so the listener is not confused. Your definition is much much better. I just chose to use the word submit because, again, that's just been the cute part of the word. I'm with you. So, since we talked about, you know, you mentioned your wife. You know, you 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 have kids. I wanted to get your um, in your own words, what is fatherhood? Uh, shucks, I don't really think I even have 
the correct words to actually articulate exactly what fatherhood is. Um, shucks, man, my oldest daughter just turned six. Um, growing up, having my mom, my dad, and my siblings, I thought I, I thought I knew what love was. Um, of course, having relationships and stuff growing up and getting in a position to get married, again, I thought I knew what love was. Um, seeing my daughter being birthed at 947, six years, PM six years ago, after Washington Hospital building, man, I really, really found out what love was. Um, and then having my other daughter be born three years later, man, it is fatherhood is the greatest joy. Um, I enjoy every minute of it. I find myself caught up in fatherhood and I will um, cut off the rest of the world for it. Um, my family is my first ministry. Nothing comes before my family. Um, so I want to be at everything. I like to experience everything. Um, shucks, my daughter has helped to restore some relationships that I had with family. Um, my daughters have been a source of encouragement. They have been a source of strength. Um, I'm trying to think of all the words right now that won't make me cry. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, my, uh, I'm, life is for me because of my daughters. Um, I never imagined being a dad. And now since I'm a dad, I can't tell you what life would be not ever being a dad. Um, I, I, I love to be between me and my wife, the last faces they see at night. I love being the first faces that they see in the morning. Um, it's, it's no greater joy than to see them achieve it was like the smallest things. Like, man, I, I get so excited at the smallest things that they do. Um, man, it, it, it's just amazing. And then to see that they do stuff, and I can fake take credit for it, but I know a lot of it, it ain't even me. It's the genes and it's uh, the supports we have around them. But because I'm dad, you know, outside of mom, I get to take credit for all the great stuff that they do. <laughs> <laughs> fatherhood is the best man um, it has brought me additional stability um, and I'm just appreciative that God uh, thought so much about me uh, that he felt just though that I'd be able to father um, daughters and, 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 I'm, and I'm eternally grateful for that man I tell you what after listening to that we need to call Webster and put that in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to um, close with this. Um, you know, you've done a lot of things, man. You've you've um, you've went to college. You graduated. Started practicing theology. You actually running the church. But what's the biggest goal you've yet to accomplish? 
Well, I wanted to be a millionaire by the age of 35. <laughs> <laughs> you, that's written in my yearbook. I wanted to be a, a millionaire by the age of 35. That has not taken place. Um, so um, that's probably one. Um, um, you know what? I'm going to stop you right quick because you mentioned a millionaire. One thing I'll be I'll be forty next year, and the one thing that I've realized about money, because I remember I used to be the same way. I didn't have a plan to know have know how I wanted to get to a million, but I knew I wanted to get there. But as I've gotten older and live life, it's become more and more apparent that money is just not important. Like I just wanted to be happy. Like, I just want joy. I want peace. I want to be successful. And the thing is, I think one of the problems is people, and I'm guilty of this, people have defined success with money. Whereas there, there's people, we, we read about millionaires who kill themselves every day. And then you, but then you read up, then you see people who have, you know, regular jobs, nine to five, and they just, happy, they're at peace, they got family, they're just living a beautiful life. They don't have a million dollars, but they got a beautiful life. And I think that's, that. not think, I know that's more important to me. Like, don't get me wrong, I would love to have a million dollars, don't get it wrong, but at this point in my life, with, with a wife and a daughter, like, all I want to do, I just want to be successful, I just want to have it. I just want to have good energy around me. I want to be loved. You know, I would like to pursue things that I'm passionate about. Those are the most important things to me now at 39. Well, I just wanted to be a millionaire in order to retire at 35. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, that's, like I said, bro, let's not get it twisted. I wanted to have... I mean, it's still attainable too. I just want to have the research. And, 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 and I say that to say, I just want to have the resources to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Honestly. Man, who are you telling me? I just want to go when I want to go and I ain't got to plan it out all the time. I just want to go when I want to go. Um, uh, but I, honestly, I think, um, and I'm just thinking, because a lot of my goals um, I have been achieving. Um, there's still some stuff that... Um, like I got some new goals that I just I, I put up on myself to be able to do um, short term and long term um, to knock out. Um, but I was just the first one I thought of mine because thinking back, um, preparing for the, uh, this interview, just thinking back over like you know childhood. One of the questions you had told me earlier was like about um, a book. I was like, wow, that's a great question. You know? Yeah. It, it, it... And we can touch on it because I, I was looking at the time, but I'm not restricted. What is the most influential book you read? I know I wanted to close the other question, but we're gonna close with that. I mean, I wanna I wanna I wanna easily say the most influential book is always the last book I read, but I think that I'd be cheating. So um and the last book that I read was um Leaders Eat Last, which is a great book. Um, but the most influential book that I read, I read it's called Make Me Wanna Holler by Nathan McCall. Oh, okay. Okay. And I've heard that, but I never got a chance to read it, but I have. And so 
I actually read that book when I was in high school, and my mother got sick of me reading that book. Because um, I, I picked, I got the book after there was a um, a column about him in the Washington Post. There was a column about him in the Washington Post, um, highlighting him and some of his journey, and they noted about the book. So my mom got me the book from the public library, Spalding Library. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so my mom got me the book, and um, I read this book and. The emotions that he described in this book, I just at times morphed into those emotions and my mom couldn't stand it. Um, and it was probably the first book that I ever read that I didn't have to imagine that I was somebody else and I imagined that I was a black man just like that. Wow. You know, man, you want to read it now. <laughs> I, I never... I remember um, he talks, uh, not to give too much away about the book, but he talked about how he literally almost killed somebody and they gave him like, basically a slap on the wrist. But he robbed a McDonald's and they threw all these years at him. So they valued this establishment greater than the whole, another man's life, a black man's life. Wow. Yeah, so that book, and I was in the late 90s, but that was a that was the most influential book. I don't read some great books. Um, uh, I love reading. I try to read a, at least a, a book a month, uh, if not more. Um, but yeah, that was the most influential book that I read. That's something I definitely need to improve on is my reading. Um, my wife buys me books, and there's, and I, um, I find myself asking for books, and when she does buy it, it ends up just sitting. So... <laughs> I need to be, I need to get better at reading. Man, get the audios if you need to. But I read this book recently called Trillionaire Coach. Man, that joint's excellent. Um, talks about highlights about the life of this man who was a, um, who failed as being a football coach, but then went on to be one of the um, best mentors for all these people that run Google, Facebook, and all these other companies. Um, so they call him the Trillion Dollar Coach. Um, uh, Shucks. Um, 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Um, uh, shucks. It's just, if you just want to read something for some great entertainment, I wish, uh, this one book, uh, well, two books that I, if I had the money to ever try to get the rights for to uh, do a movie off, um, it's called Standing at the Scratch Line and Echoes of a Distant Summer by Guy Johnson. Man, that book's amazing. Talks about so, you an audio book guy? Nah, I read. I gotta have a book in my hand. Oh. I need a book in my hand. I love books in my hand. I'm trying to wait because I'm finishing up this other book before I go buy the new um um the new Malcolm Gladwell book. Malcolm Gladwell is amazing. Outliers blink what the dogs dog saw at the Supreme Point. So he just got a new book that just released the other day. So I'm trying to finish up the book that I got in my hand before I go grab a copy of that. Um and, and truth be told, I'm trying to wait to make sure we got the library because um, I got too many books in my house right now. So library. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not such as having too many books in your house, but I'm just not having as much space as I need. So I, I read books from the library, and if I find out that I want to buy, it, I mean, have that copy, then I go buy it and have it in the house. Hmm. Well, look, brother, I want to 
take the time to thank you for doing this, man. I know you're a busy man, you know, with the church and the, you know, your other commitments that you're working on. So I definitely want to thank you for lending me this time because I truly appreciate it. And I definitely wanted people to hear the journey you want because I think it's a great journey. And I'm honored that you chose this platform to tell your story. Well, I appreciate you allowing me to sit here and, and have the light on with Lane. <laughs> um for um are you are you um do you have a social media presence? Like, do you are you active on social media with I'm, like, I'm active on, um I'm active on uh Twitter and Instagram. Um, Twitter is Watch Tense, like the watch that you wear. Um, and on Instagram is Two Tense Eight, the number Two Tense and the number Eight. Um, basically, if you want them joints, you just see me showing, showcasing my daughters, uh, <laughs> uh, um, showcasing Black businesses. Anytime I find a Black business to support, showcasing Black businesses. So those are the two primary, uh, the primary things that you will see. Um, uh, me doing something with my daughters and uh, highlighting black businesses. Okay. And for those who this is the first time listening to my show, I'm on Instagram as Conversations with Lamp and also on Facebook as Conversations with Lamp. And my podcast is on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. So I want to again thank you all for taking the time to listen. And again, thank you, Mr. Tench, for giving me your time. And you all have a great day.